Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Runway VC podcast, a podcast where we interview experts and disruptors and talk about innovation and the future of the travel and aviation industry. Today's actually a special episode of the podcast because true to our nature, we're going to push the envelope and test out live video interviews. Uh, our first guest for our first live interview is Van Estabadi, who's a co-founder and partner of Starburst Accelerator, which is an organization dedicated to connecting the private sector, research, and investment community to aerospace and aviation startups and help grow the industries. Hey, Van, how's it going? Hey, good. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Happy to be a part of the show. Oh, glad you're here. Glad you're here. And once again, thanks for being our first guest and helping us test this platform out. Let's do this. So I think uh, I first kind of want to start on your journey into aviation. Uh, how did you get involved with the industry and interested in aerospace and all that? I, I guess like every other kid, I kind of um, was really uh, impressed when my father first took me to the Smithsonian when I was about seven years old. So that really kind of first introduced me to toys like the SR-71 Blackbird and um and wanting to kind of get involved in the aviation. But uh, suffice it to say, I spent most of my uh, academic and professional career kind of falling into a world of public policy and international trade. So always trying to find a way to uh, leverage that towards this industry, starting on Capitol Hill and then um, moving into the aerospace and defense industry, doing a lot of uh, international trade, export control, identifying technologies in this industry that can... Uh, uh, do commercial transactions overseas that also kind of tend to reflect the industry's needs. So how did you make that jump from public policy and, and just international politics in general to this specific sector? Was there a certain project that you were working on or? Um, you're only in control for so much of it, right? Sometimes it just comes down to timing and the right opportunities that present themselves. I, I was pretty interested in, in um, public policy. I think my, 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 Postgrad was international commerce and foreign policy. So the congressman I was staffing sat on the Middle East subcommittee um, for what was then called HIRC, the International Relations Committee. And I uh, was really interested in understanding how overseas transactions of whether it was military defense or aerospace related technology to the region shaped our foreign policy there. So that's how it kind of got started. And because I worked for some pretty uh, well, as an intern, you didn't really make any money, so I split my time bartending in Washington, and um, and then uh, uh, during the days, kind of surrounding myself with some pretty influential uh, policymakers on the Hill, uh, Congresspersons, and and that exposure, I guess, taught me how to kind of staff, uh, support them with very influential meetings. So anytime a state delegation came to town. Um, I, I had the opportunity to kind of be there in the background doing the grunt work, dropping one time a, a case of beer during Cinco de Mayo on the steps of the Capitol, um, the Capitol police running after me with broken bottles of beer all over the place. Um, so, so that was kind of how I started. And then uh, some friends were recruited by Raytheon and they introduced me to their bosses who invited me in for interviews. And that's kind of where it, it, it really kind of started to fine tune into uh, uh, a company that had a fantastic international footprint of the aerospace and defense technology that continues nice, to grow. Very nice, very nice. So now you're involved with Starburst uh, Accelerator. How did that, how did you go from Raytheon to coming across Starburst? Uh, okay, so 
I guess you could call it a bit of a moral <laughs> dilemma. Um, uh, I, I, without it, so I kind of, Raytheon where I was based was corporate. So I kind of worked for the CEO's office and you get a great visibility of everything happening in all the different domains, whether it was the missile systems program in Tucson, Arizona, or whether it was air traffic management systems in Massachusetts um, or space and airborne systems in, in Southern California. I, I think in your professional career, you really want to split your learning experience from as part of the sort of leadership development program we were in, um, from uh, understanding the sort of macro aspects, but then really trying to get on the front lines of the business. And for me, the, the challenge was, uh, you know, working in Tucson or being, um, uh, put onto a, an assignment in a foreign country somewhere supporting that specific product line. But having said that, I, I appealed much more to the civilian programs. And I think, I think eventually the, the air traffic side of the business had a lot less barriers to entry in doing international business. And, and the gentleman who ran the, um, that division was let go for what they referred to as the Washington Post test. So even though it was his performance to deliver a $20 million air traffic control system to you know a country like Egypt, um, when the embargoes were softened in Libya, uh, he went in and, and immediately started to negotiate a deal with the government there in 2006. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he was, uh, you know, when you're doing 80% of your business with the Pentagon and you're at reputational uh, exposure and things tend to escalate to the CEO, they, they, it's very political and politicized. And so he was let go and headhunted into the British air traffic control, um, which has been privatized right. and introduced me to his boss. And they invited me over to interviews in London and I ended up going to work for them. And they behave more of like a, a Lockheed meets NASA. Um, mm -hmm. hybrid entity. So I'm not sure if that's a good thing, but um, it certainly was a great opportunity to get into the front lines of more civilian programs and less military oriented programs. Okay. Okay. And so one of your, Oh, sorry. Starburst. Well, yeah. I was going to say one of your titles is, is co-founder of Starburst Accelerator. So uh, talk about that journey and how, how Starburst came to be. So in that role in the UK, I ended up, um, being the only American that had roots back to California and all my friends in the venture circuit. So they asked me to kind of exploit that in our sort of product development activities, um, entrepreneurs and seed funding engineers in the business. And that's when I met uh, Francois in Paris, um, who had basically brought a lot of the European um, supply chain together because it's much more hierarchical. It was easier to, for them to be organized. So we kind of hit it off and I told him I'm bringing the Brits and the Americans behind me to what he had is a very, uh, seedling program in Paris with the French businesses done in French. Um, and, and I kind of told him this needs to be much bigger and we want to externalize our program. And he sort of convinced me to turn the table on me and to leave my job and bring the concept over into the States, which is how we kind of decided to really grow the business and why since bringing it to the U S has really significantly scaled our business to the point of um, how, how it shaped it and why I'm part of it now. And you all are, Recently, so that's kind of how we met. Yeah, so you all have recently opened your office in the United States, I believe, within the past year, correct? Just less than a year. Um, Boeing hosted our first Shark Tank uh, in October. Raytheon hosted the second one in December. Northrop hosted our one, our last one in March, and we're hosting our next one, which is going to be global, with NASA in Silicon Valley in uh, June as part of the President President Obama's Global Entrepreneurship Summit. 
So that we're expecting about 350 people with all of our 20 or so corporate partners from around the world who um, hire us to behave as a tech scout for them and use this format to kind of um, fan the fire of that engagement with the startup community. So you guys pretty much serve as a as an external arm for R&D research, essentially. Um, I would argue most of them have a pretty good pulse of the research. What we're doing is as, uh, behaving as a, think of it as a sporting scout, you know, finding the athletes, finding the teams that are actually taking that technology into the marketplace. And that's where they struggle is the generational gap of why is a business going through Y Combinator and how has that boot camp helped them uh, become a, a force to be reckoned with as a team and who, how can, can you introduce us to that team? And on, I mean, and on the flip side, these businesses that are coming out of these incubation programs are having a difficult time knowing who to talk to in such a magnificent, in such a large uh, corporation. So really we're just kind of behaving as the sandbox that's, that's introducing these two different cultures uh, to the right decision makers on both ends of the spectrum. And are those the sandboxes, as you say, are those the uh, Shark Tank style events that you all host or is there any other programming that goes into that as well? Yeah, the, the the diverse open, well, it's not open to all. You have to, The corporates pay to be a part of it. It's open to investors and some of our um, small business innovation research leads in different government agencies. Um, but once that is the sort of tip of the iceberg and, and where they fuel the right side of their brain and thinking creatively around things that they didn't know about that exist in adjacent domains next to them. So to educate a guy working on small sats, what's happening on in situational awareness with with new unmanned systems, uh, as well as how is the passenger experience and in-flight entertainment systems, um, I guess, applicable to human machine interface with um, uh, industrial applications. So there's lots of ways of really getting people to think creatively. Um, and we use that to really get them excited, but the real substance and the deliverable is um, once you've built this collective or virtual network of startups around the world that are looking to engage the big industries. How do we organize these kind of private pitches where they video conference in or have them fly in and do private pitches to internally into those businesses where they then start to then think of it like a speed dating session around um, how they want to decide who they want to go on a date with. Yeah. So, uh, and I think one of the biggest complaints that uh, founders have of startups is that when it comes time to raising money, uh, a lot of them, a lot of their time and effort and energy is sucked up just on the rat race uh, that is trying to find the right investors and going through yeah. that whole process. And not most people don't realize how long that process can take. You know, it isn't just a one month or uh, even six weeks process. It can be up to six months to a year uh, to just raise the amount of money you need to, to continue forward. Um, so talk to me about kind of when a startup applies to be a part of the Starburst Accelerator, where, how does that process work from start to finish? So the pains you were just referred to is commonly referred to in the industry as the valley of death. Um, the dichotomy of fundraising while creating a sales pipeline or deal flow that helps you stay afloat. Um, maybe there's some relevance to the title of your, of your program in terms of runway, you know, how much time, can you survive on a budget before you run out of money to keep your business going um, is, is what, what makes it so difficult and stressful um, in, in really taking an idea 
and trying to create a product and then trying to take that into the market. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of available programs out there if you have an idea, but there are thousands of accelerators right. out there, um, and and many of them would be welcoming to uh, uh, offering you a boot camp in exchange for equity to help you um, uh, understand the fundamental building blocks of building your business from the idea that you have. But suffice it to say, having the idea isn't what will give you the success opportunities. Uh, many. Uh, we hear ideas all the time, but it really comes down to, I think the guys at Techstars are pretty good at uh, saying this, but they always say um, they're the, the five big ideas they're looking for. Um, the uh, fifth is the idea. The fourth is the market. And the third is team. Second is team. And the first is mm -hmm. team. So uh, the really, really what it comes down to is, you know, just because you have an idea, it's very likely somebody else also has the idea. Sure. And the sort of game that venture capital invests in is finding how many teams they can give them give their money to, hoping that one of them will become uh, the big the big unicorn that they are that it will give them the significant return. So, um, our when people approach us with an idea that's related to aviation, um, we aren't our our we're, our program's more focused on business development and scale for that valley of death that we talked mm -hmm. about. So for us, it's who are the other programs that are out there, the other accelerators that. Um, would be a great entry point in taking your proof of concept or your idea into a proof of concept or proof of concept into a, a minimum viable product. And then uh, how then once you've reached that MVP and you have something and you're looking for expressions of interest and you really want us to offer a stage and a megaphone to uh, uh, get everyone excited and fuel the competitive nature of the supply chain to get them to want to pilot a program with you, how can we then help launch you and catapult you into that sort of a, the visibility of the greater ecosystem. So, so I think my my recommendation would be to to look at all the other programs that are out there. It depends on where you live, um, and where's the customer base. You and I have discussed this before, Chris. You know, if you're based in New Orleans, um, th this is an economic engine that's rife with hospitality industry. Right. Um, if you're in the Bay Area, um, which is now leaning, you know, leaving the sort of so social media. Um, economic engine and leaning more towards deep learning, artificial intelligence, IOT, the internet, internet of things, um, and, and the sensor capabilities. So where, so if you're, for us, it's, if you're proposing a sort of a, a space related technology, yes, we might say there, uh, Southern California is a great place for that. If you're proposing other ideas, we might think about if it's new materials, nanotechnology, I might say Wichita is a great place to get started. Um, there's programs in Wisconsin that are happy to take you on and, Help, help incubate that initial stage. And then once you get to the right point, then I think you can come to our program if you really want that sort of commercial exposure and think creatively around how a relationship with a Boeing or an Airbus can help um, you take your product to the next level in partnership and partnering with them. Sure. So I go to the Starbus, so Starbus Accelerator page and, and hit the apply button, fill out an application. <laughs> Where, where does that go? I get an email from you uh, with an invitation to pitch at the next Shark Tank or? So we are always scouting. Um, I'd say it's an even split between um, people that are expressing interest to us, whether it's cold interest through the application mm -hmm. process, whether it's um, referrals through our partners, whether they're investors, that are looking for a sort of a, a vote of confidence from industry before they, uh, as they're on the fence to make that investment. Um, whether it's it's 
from a corporate partner who's not yet sure if they want to build a relationship with you, um, as well as those that were looking for in adjacent markets. Um, what's happening in the automotive sector with future fa uh, factory, the future concepts and additive manufacturing, what's happening um, in, in uh, other industries like clean tech, um, new energy, you know, how are, how are these capabilities going to have just as much potential to grow in the, in the aerospace supply chain? So um, if you go through that process, then I'd say you, your application would, go into an evaluation phase, which is reviewed by our team. We've got about 15 people around the world, depending on where you're based. Uh, if you're in the US, it would go to our team here in LA and they would do an assessment of how they think your company or your product um, has the potential to be presented to our corporate partners. We then decide whether or not we think you become qualified as a pre-selected candidate and then decide where is the next uh, upcoming event that we would invite you to come and present that idea in order to be vetted by our what we call a selection committee that's kind of like a uh, instead of a shark tank with mark cuban and 50 to 200 um, industry leaders half coming from the corporate sector so it'll be um, the guys from business development and strategy at northrop grumman and lockheed and boeing to a quarter of the people being from the investment community from some of the more reputable venture capital firms in menlo park some here in the LA area, um, uh, as well as some private equity groups and some angel syndicates. Um, Space Angels Network as a strategic partner, uh, the Tech Coast Angels, Pasadena Angels. Um, and then finally, the remaining quarter being the sort of what we refer to as public and academia uh, research institutions. So the head of the guy that runs small business innovation research at Jet Propulsion Laboratory, the entrepreneur in residence at Caltech's tech transfer division, um, and how can they uh, weigh in on deciding whether or not uh, industry wants to work with you. And as they score, this starts to prioritize an engagement plan for us. So now we're building a lot of data on the back end. They're using a, a sort of a, a survey monkey to score the pitch during a 10 minute pitch and a five minute Q and A. And by the end of it, we aggregate those results and we uh, spit it back out. And it only shows you just uh, how mature the thinking of that group is. So, even if you don't score well, it doesn't mean we're not willing to work with you. I think the fact that we pre-selected you means you have potential. Those companies that we never thought would have potential have scored the highest in some of our committees. And those that we thought would be fantastic, um, like an amphibious drone to disrupt the way we do maritime shipping and air freight, um, ended up not scoring so well. But uh, coincidentally, that ended up working favorably to them so that they used that as ammunition to go to their more out-of-the-box investors to say, look how far away industry's leaders are. Don't you think this creates an opportunity for you on the venture side? And that's actually worked favorably for them. So, do you, yeah, yeah. So do you all put them through any kind of coaching for pitching or do they come as they are before they get started? Um, I'd say we do a little bit of a scrub, um, but we don't want to spend too much time really giving it that polish like some of the other mm -hmm. accelerators do, I think. Um, I leave it to these other innovation nodes and these other earlier stage accelerator programs to do that. Um, some may not have been through there. So we really uh, manage expectations with our selection committee to say this, don't expect a very polished pitch. And more, most of them are looking for technology and, and, and the people behind them rather than looking for a polished pitch. Um, so we're not... We're not trying to, uh, uh, you know, I think that's, some, that's something what more of a Techstars or a, a Y Combinator would do. I think once you've been through that and you really want to 
uh, have traction within the aerospace industry, then whether you have a polished pitch or not, we do spend some time trying to give it a good scrub. But at the same time, the plan is it's rather than uh, trying to spit you out in a polished way, it's more of a bring you in and decide. It's more of a pitch day and and just prioritize who are the companies that want to work with you. So having pitched, we see that the guys at Booz Allen think that you have a lot of potential in working with them. So we will uh, get you in front of them. We'll spend the next 18 to 24 months really helping you um, get your first major deal in place, prioritize who the right partners are for you to work with, who wants to uh, work with you. And then, um, that, then our focus is more on that 18 to 24 months of getting you the right deal flows, helping you secure your first major deal and introducing you to the right investors that we think can complement your business and bring value to you. So the sharks, uh, Shark Tank style interviews are just the kickoff for these companies' programs, essentially. Yeah, it's more of a, a gateway. So it's yeah. more of saying, this is we're bringing the in leaders from industry to um, um, decide if you have the potential to grow in this industry. So that's why we call it a selection committee. It's more of a, uh, a pre-filtering exercise. So we're initially, so how, how our filtering works is each of our corporate partners that pays us identifies what their hot buttons are. So they'll say, I'm interested in these features. And once you aggregate that with 20 different aerospace and defense companies from around the world, then that gives us a pretty good pulse of what we think they're looking for. And then when you, so that's when, as we're doing our evaluation process, we'll decide we think this has potential, but more or less, we're pretty interested in, in helping polish you up over the next 18 to 24 months and offering you a place to come work from, introducing you to other incubator programs or other accelerator programs that can really help uh, complement what you're looking for. And then making sure you have, you're talking to the right people in these companies that can really take your product to the next level. So our sweet spot is what we refer to as TRL six, which is a NASA term for strong IP, really possibly a patent or two pending. And you're really ready to commercialize that. And where does regulation come into this whole focus? So obviously uh, aerospace and aviation are two highly regulated industries. Um, so when trying to decide which companies to work with, where do you all, uh, obviously there's some belief that regulation will change for some of these companies I'm assuming that you're working with will move, but where do you draw the line where it's like, you know what, this is not, the regulation's just not there yet and it won't be for another 30 years or whatever the case may be. I'm reminded of that, um, that quote, um, if you're not getting sued, then you're not being successful. Right. <laughs> uh, I'd argue, um, uh, on the regulatory side, um, if you're a startup, you shouldn't concern yourself with regulation. Um, unless uh, you, I think the point is the, the whole essence of being a startup means that you're not letting a regulation or regulatory um, um, aspects interfere with your vision of what you really want to bring into the marketplace. Um, if Travis Kalanick let um, rules of how city transportation works um, stop him from creating Uber, then it wouldn't be the way that it is today. So a lot of these companies like SpaceX, um, like Uber, are now pretty much uh, legal enterprises that educate different public policymakers in different cities what it means to um, understand the needs of the public. So we all support Uber. You know, I think Austin just had a big um, referendum on whether or not they wanted to keep Uber in the city. Uh, so uh, people are getting smarter from these public policy initiatives, but certainly some of the startups, one of them we're working with is called AirMap, um, is trying to create uh, alert systems and situational awareness for people that use drones 
near airfields and that so that uh, air traffic controllers will know if somebody's flying a toy drone right outside of an airfield and they can stop it from interfering or intersecting with the aircraft that are flying in. So they're working very closely with the policymakers, the FAA and the White House, um, as well as it's a different business model. So um, they're not necessarily making income yet, but there is a much more how they've structured the business, I think, will basically inevitably see that alert tool become the single uh, database where people will look for to, to kind of access that sort of understanding of where drones are being flown. So they're balancing that act of how regulation plays into your business model. Um, but I would argue, I was in DC just two days ago meeting with the head of the uh, aerospace industry trade lobby group. Um, and their approach to entrepreneurs is, um, you know, yes, I can respect they're being disruptive, but at the same time, my big companies, my guy, the guys that pay the bills for us here, right. um, don't want you shaking up landscape for them. But they know that they can't avoid it. So at the same time, those same companies are also paying us to introduce them to the companies that can shake it up. So it's a it's a theme of Clayton Christensen's innovation dilemma in terms of how are you kind of carefully going down this line, uh, doing this balancing act. Uh, so. I, yes, it is a heavily regulated regulated environment, as is every other industry. Um, I think, in just as complicated or safety critical regimes are in petrochemical life sciences, um, and but the, the 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 doors have been kicked in, and and successful case studies have been made. SpaceX um, and and uh, uh, new system companies. So I'm not. I don't think you should let that stop you from wanting to pursue your passion. And if you, more importantly, that those that control the regulatory environment will want to work with you to see your product come to the marketplace if you're a better person at creating it. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Aeromap and their drone detecting, uh, I guess, system they're putting into place. Uh, what are some of the other companies you're working with uh, specifically to aviation industry? Uh, so one of the companies we're working with that's been with us for a while from France uh, is a former accident investigator. Um, his name's Pierre. He um, was involved in the, in the final crash of the Concorde. And he um, basically analyzed a lot of black, black box data analytics and realized that on, nobody was really making use of that data until uh, there's an incident. So he... Uh, used a sort of an algorithm to think about assessing the behavior of the aircraft during the climb phase and by uh, providing a guidance on the behavior of each aircraft to, to provide a guidance to a pilot to say, if you change the speed twice during the climb phase, you're able to achieve a 10% reduction in fuel savings. Um, and with that, we've helped them scale up pro their products with, a, with an incentivizing business model um, uh, to the uh, airlines um, not just in Europe, but also now in the U.S., that are piloting these programs through their flight management systems. Um, that doesn't interfere with air traffic um, control. That doesn't interfere with the heavy regulatory environment. Um, I know there's been a lot of proposals of technologies in that domain previously that have already been acquired by GE and other big companies like Rolls Royce um, or Boeing. With, um, but I think I think they've they are another good example of continuing to push. Uh, the boundaries of how you can work within those regulatory boundaries and someone that comes from a, an environment that understands it. Yeah, essentially making use of what was that data. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most uh, exciting things about the aviation and aerospace industries is uh, it's pretty clear 
the writing on the wall is is that within the next 10 years, the industry that stands today is going to be completely flipped on its head. Uh, it's going to take a little longer than other industries just because, like we've talked about, the regulation and just natural laws to catch up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's an industry that is heavily leveraging technology uh, and has always leveraged technology uh, to defy what the laws of physics were uh, when the first plane was created yeah. uh, to to turn it into, you know, what will be the future of the industries. There's uh, a lot of exciting projects out there and that are that are coming at this in a different way. Um, I met the guys at Boom um, and they are basically a hybrid. That's the supersonic yeah. flight. Yeah. yeah. They and they um, they came out of Y Combinator and they are uh, a sort of a, a hybrid of the Jeff Bezos philosophy. Um, Blake came from Amazon and Groupon, uh, really having a, 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 a cultural uh, understanding of what it means to be a tech startup in a fast growing culture um, and, and partnered. And he's just a passionate aviation enthusiast. Um, uh, and he's partnered with the, some of the team that came out of the scaled composites, which built a lot of the, you know, the Burt Rutan philosophy of aircraft prototyping um, that was eventually acquired by Northrop Grumman um, that did the Spaceship One Virgin uh, Galactic aircraft. So um, they, they recognize that if you take the processing power and the computational power that exists in technology today, the materials that are available today, that you can justify a business case for what was originally intended as a proof of concept in our parents' generation. So, so you, I guess my point is we might think it's easy to say it's going to be difficult, but at the same time, nobody, you know, it just takes uh, the right team to, to bring those cultures, to converge those cultures and, 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 and justify the business case behind it. And they're talking to the right people from Stephen Uvarhazi, which had the largest aircraft leasing company to um, Richard Branson and many others to get this project off the ground. And it's exciting to see that, you know, there's no reason why it can't work. So, yeah. And I think that's one common theme that's uh, that you're seeing more and more of is that it's more and more people are reluctant to say that this is never going to happen. Uh, yeah. You know, those words were in the past something that could be said all the time, but with technology and and with the barriers that they seem to be breaking down every day, uh, the word impossible is becoming less and less of a used word when it comes to new technology and, and new innovation. Uh, and I think that people are that are interested in that and wanting to start companies when they hear that this is going to be impossible or they're told no, uh, their natural personality is to take that and use it to just prove everyone that's told them no wrong. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yes, in so many ways and for so many reasons. Um, so uh, there's more money. Um, we're, I think what we like to say, think of it, how we like to think of it is what we consider to be the space race um, in the in the 60s or in the 50s and 60s is now um, um, almost exponentially significantly larger right now. I can't begin to tell you how many people in typical private equity that don't understand this industry are coming to me saying, we're creating a dedicated fund for space startups. Um, where do we give our money? Who do we give it to? Um, then there's a lot of talent coming out of the top programs at Caltech, Harvey Mudd, Stanford, MIT, um, of all these kids that are no longer looking for a job for life. They're not expected to be a, a, a full career at uh, Boeing or Northrop Grumman. They're saying, I'm contemplating burning out at SpaceX for the next three years before starting my own venture in an exoskeleton type company, or 
Um, can you think of any other startups where I can really go and bring some value? Or do I go do my own thing and get you introduced me to some investors? I'm also meeting people in big corporations that are working on stealth projects in the evenings and weekends saying, um, we're getting ready to you know, um, get out of stealth mode and, and can you introduce us to some people that some investors that will want to help us seed fund our idea and so we can leave the business and focus our time to this full time. So it's bubbling immensely and there's going to be uh, so many more opportunities over the next few years and for a lot more people to, to get more involved and in a more collaborative way. So when you talk about the sort of scale of uh, disruption and innovation um, and the impact of innovation, I think um, it's a lot more digestible and everyone's recognizing their roles rather than saying, why don't we do everything ourselves? You know, how are the big companies being true to what they are good at and then letting the startups. So I think the model is this externalization of, of R and D activities, you know, not just doing it in the business and getting it subsidized through government grants, but actually partnering with a startup and letting them do it, having an arm's length relationship for some sort of uh, early access or first right of refusal for doing business with them. Yeah. And so you mentioned just the money that's out there. Um, I think that for a, for the past couple of years, you know, it's, they've been in the headlines, the hundreds of thousands, the millions of dollars, the photo sharing apps have raised uh, and all the different, you know, Uber of whatever uh, fill in blank for <laughs> yeah. certain industry uh, have raised. Some have been successful, uh, most not, not successful. Um, but I think that one thing that at least knowledgeable investors and, and uh, other people are starting to see is a bubble that's starting to pop. Uh, I think Dropbox put out a, uh, a an announcement the other day that they were severely cutting back on a lot of their employee perks because they were expecting for a down round uh, coming up in the next, you know, whenever their next round was going to be. Um, are you seeing that in aviation? There's a lot of there's a lot of indica economic indicators that suggest it's time for the downturn, right? It's mm -hmm. the cycle is coming back. Um, we've got to um, even things out. Uh, and I think the tech sector has certainly reached a saturation of um, overvaluated unicorns and the amount of them that there are. And there's a lot of reasons why you can start to really break it down and think, okay, uh, these companies that went IPO, I think, what was it? Like uh, uh, Fitbit, Twitter, and, and GoPro, had all dropped below their initial IPO on the, uh, and I think they're kind of, they've come back now, but. Yeah. Um, well, Groupon is a great example of that. Yeah. I mean, they, they were a company that was really valued and, and, you know, from everything I've heard, you walk around their office now and it's like a scene out of the walking dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I'm with you that uh, the general tech sector and the people with the money and the VCs in places like New York and LA that are looking to uh, exploit them um, are, are starting to sort of reach a cadence um, but, but I think when you get into very tech-specific verticals uh, like aerospace and aviation, they lack the um, the sort of industry knowledge, and and they have never. And it's been difficult. There's only a select few of them that have um, that have started to break the barriers into this industry. So even I know there's a, a, a significant amount of VCs here in the LA area, but none of them. Uh, even though they're co-located with the aerospace industry, have dared to break that barrier into under, in making that investment. So it's still going to come down the kings of the industry or the kings, of the, the, the sort of the champion VCs, which are still in Menlo Park in, in the Silicon Valley area, like the Bessemers that have a significant track record in history that are interested in making those investments in this, in this industry. And and I think it's, it's inelastic and they're not as vulnerable. Um, and so I would argue that this industry, when it comes to venture investing or making strategic investment plays 
or corporate venturing isn't um, uh, as vulnerable as the general tech sector is. And what are you what are you seeing the impact of the airlines getting now involved in the investment uh, in the investment realm? I believe JetBlue now has their arm uh, that yeah. they started not too long ago. Uh, I think even the DoD has has a, a, a startup investment uh, structure of some sort. There is a spectrum of how you can make uh, venture type investments um, uh, or private equity type investments and. And when you look at, and there's no, there's nothing new about how this is, how this has progressed over the years. Um, there's no secret that Lockheed has been making uh, venture type investments. Even Boeing made venture type investments in non-aviation related industries like uh, energy, green, uh, clean tech, um, and and how the spectrum of traditional VC to um, of, uh, corporate venturing is a sort of a spread itself, but then to understand how the aerospace industry itself is trying to play in that domain has evolved over the years. Today, yes, you have Airbus Ventures. Yes, you have JetBlue Ventures. Um, yes, InQtel is making investments in space, which is the CIA's venture fund. And yes, the Pentagon is trying to follow suit and dedicate um, uh, more investments in that area. Um, so. But you have to dig deep and understand who are the people that are making these investments and to, what is their motivation to make those investments. So someone like a, the person who runs JetBlue's Ventures actually came from the aviation industry. She understands what it means to operate in the airline industry. And maybe she's not as um, um, she's not imposing the same um, venture metrics on herself as a traditional VC would. And she's more interested in seeing those technologies scale out into the operation of the airline industry. Whereas someone um, that runs the Airbus Ventures guys, like um, the team there, has a fantastic heritage um, from Deutsche Telekom, from uh, Andreessen Horowitz, and will, um, like Google Ventures, treat themselves as independent VCs, use leveraging the brand to say, as long as we can um, uh, uh, reference a need for the aerospace industry. Our real passion is to see this capability have an addressable market that spans multiple industries like life sciences, like uh, energy sector, and many, many more things. So you really need to understand who are the people and how that fund is structured um, before you just try to get excited about the brand. And, sure. and it's safe to say that uh, the Pentagon has incrementally gone down this road, um, but Intel has been uh, more successful at that. Um, and their information is public. Uh, you can look it up online and to seeing how they're making some of these investment plays. Yeah. And now you mentioned uh, what traditional investors are as opposed to uh, non-traditional investors. Are you seeing any impact uh, in the, I guess, ease of raising money uh, with the Jobs Act uh, from a couple years ago now giving the opportunity for people to crowdfund their an initial round of investments? Uh, I interviewed... The guy from XDI Aircraft, which uh, are, are, is a company that's creating a vertical takeoff and landing general aviation aircraft, and their part of their investment uh, strategy was to crowdfund uh, part of their initial round. So, yeah. are you seeing that as an impact, kind of as a proof of concept, or Kickstarter uh, validation? It's a tough one. I think um, they will tell you themselves. They. They really want that philosophy to work, but but the real um, press to test is is it working? Um, sure. And and it may take time. Um, 
I, I love the concept of a Kickstarter and crowdsourcing. I, I think actually even crowdsourcing ideas, not even funding, um, um, one of the first investments that Airbus Ventures made was in local motors in order to crowdsource uh, design of new products. But on the financing side, uh, yes, I think there are more and more collectives of high net worth individuals pooling their funds together um, in different angel syndicates. Um, what it comes down to is that as an entrepreneur, you're going to want not just people with money, you're going to want people that can bring value to your business decisions. So mm -hmm. even if they can bring money to you, you're going to want them on your board. You're going to want them challenging you and making sure you're, you're going down the right path. So um, that's one of the other things we want to be able to offer is that uh, as you continue to grow, are you being paired up with the right potential investors? And there might be a risk. Uh, um, and I think with crowdsourcing, you're not getting that sort of value from an advisory perspective of smart money. You're just getting a sort of a, um, an opportunity to think. I think in those instances or circumstances, it's for more of the uh, bolder innovations like new aircraft types, um, like if Elon Musk is talking about doing an electric aircraft vertical takeoff landing, um, you're going to need a lot more capital to get that off the ground. And crowdsourcing those ideas um, might be a better way to do it or a, specific, a couple of really high net worth individuals that really want to see that idea happen, or a competition uh, that has significant um, prize money behind it, like XPRIZE. So yeah. um, XPRIZE is certainly uh, proposing in the sort of transporter one that is one of the next up and coming ones. So I think there's a lot of uh, ways where you can, it depends on what your product is, and then what is a more sensible approach to getting that capitalized. Sure, sure. So kind of shifting from where the industry looks today in terms of investments and the startups that are out there now, what are you seeing in terms of ideas or other concepts that are being played around with in other industries that you're, that excite you about moving towards the aviation and aerospace industries? Um, this is going to sound kind of geeky, but uh, I get... I get really excited about additive manufacturing. Um, the idea that we can now, 3D printers are making 3D printer parts in mm -hmm. space. Okay, so you, I mean, imagine using robotics and artificial intelligence to allow something to create itself exponentially. So the idea of the Death Star in Star Wars right. <laughs> is, no, is no longer unfathomable. Um, so. I tend to geek out on, on things like that, but I, I also really like, you know, uh, thinking about um, other applications that are helping that manufacturing capability, whether it's human machine interface, like the gloves and minority report to um, self drive. I think I also think it's ridiculous that as much as I love driving, that we're still driving our own cars. So when you get really immersed in hearing all these new pitches from all these different companies, I kind of, uh, I get mad at the stupidest things sometimes. Like, what do you mean you still want me to pay by cash? Um, <laughs> So, so I think um, we're seeing some exciting technologies. Uh, I loved seeing the trial with Hyperloop uh, just uh, today um, that went successfully. So um, there are things that tend to represent the future of our industry, whereas there's things that will continue to improve our industry today. Um, and when you see uh, businesses like Boom come together proposing supersonic aircraft um, uh, uh, using with, with a smart business case behind it, I think it's it's truly a, we're we're entering a new time and and these are the sort of technologies that I get really excited about. Sure. Now, is a company like Boom? I mean, so they're they're focused on supersonic 
Um, but is that the play or is it more along the lines of what Richard Branson is trying to do with his Virgin and I believe Bezos with his uh, space travel where it's a lower orbit aircraft uh, that can get you across the globe faster? I mean, I feel like supersonic is it's been it's been there done that and is there a further innovation to that type of concept there are many layers to this and yes the, the to your to your uh, if i understand your question correctly is do we need to go there if we can leapfrog into something bigger sure uh, right and there are research facilities around the world like in australia and queensland that are actually developing hypersonic engines which yes would allow you to exit the Earth's atmosphere into the stratosphere, let the Earth spin while you stay there and then come right back down. Basically, the idea of getting from Japan, uh, from Tokyo to New York in just a few hours is, right. is, is yes, that's, that's where we're going. Um, there's also doing it with balloons, the stratospheric balloons. Um, so I think, uh, oops, yeah. So, so uh, you know, it, you don't have to be launched into orbit if you want to see the uh, Earth's curvature. Um, you can do it in a very peaceful way and enjoy champagne along the way for some sort of ceremonial reasons. So, right. yeah, I think, I think um, we want to see the incremental product development and we want to evidence that it doesn't have to be controlled from government agencies anymore. It will be regulated um, and we want to make sure we're educating those that want to participate in this domain that there are a lot of those concerns and that you're holding their hands through that process, um, which is probably why we want to get back to justifying a business case for supersonic uh, travel for different purposes, whether it's luxury, whether it's um, stratospheric, and then get to the next point of actually doing it for hypersonic aircraft. Yeah, and I think that's the one, at least for me, that's the one issue that I take when companies are using the term innovation, which is a term such a buzzword yeah. uh, nowadays. Um, but I think that the problem that I have is when I hear these ideas for startups or the companies are working on this and and they've either got some great marketing team behind them or social media buzz or pulled off this, you know, really dumb campaign that's got them in wire or whatever the case may be. Um, you realize it's like, yes, but all you're doing is reiterating, you know, one X or, you know, two X above what it is now. You're not leapfrogging what the real issue is. You're trying to address um, a a big problem by just taking a small ad adaptation to what the solution is out there um, and, and not thinking too so far out of the box where like we talked about earlier, somebody comes up to you and says, no, that's impossible. Uh, I don't, I, you know, that you'll never be able to do that. Um, so there's, there's impossible in terms of physics and then there's impossible in terms of there's no reason. Um, there's a space case, there's a business case. Um, and then it's really finding out your limitations um, and whether it's incremental or whether it's exponential. Um, God, there's so many dependencies here. Sure. <laughs> I, think, I think what matters is that whoever, whoever you are and, and um, whatever idea you have, um, your voice needs to be heard. And, and the platform for, um, uh, for doing it is becoming uh, much, more, much, much easier. Um, so I think it's encourageable and, and we want to see more and more people um, understand that it's not uh, as it's always going to be a challenge. But what how, you know, the, um, that thanks to leaders like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and the ones you mentioned, you don't have to be a tech billionaire anymore uh, in order to have the potential to bring something into this into this industry anymore. 
So I guess that kind of leads me, we're, we're kind of running out. I know I promised to keep this uh, right at or a little bit under an hour, uh, so I don't want to monopolize too much more of your time, but that kind of leads us into our, our some of our wrap-up questions. Um, what advice, if someone is uh, been at the job, you know, been in the industry for a while, but still has that itch to want to disrupt or has an idea that would disrupt, uh, what advice do you have to give to them? There are other people like you <laughs> and, 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 you know, just slowly um, don't hesitate to publish your, your thoughts, whether using it's using platforms like this platforms like medium on LinkedIn uh, and start to find where these other communities are gathering of like-minded individuals um, uh, always consider how you want to filter your expertise, whether it's your capability, uh, the region you operate, the geography, uh, and finally the sort of uh, industry that you want to continue to emerge in. So um, uh, find out what the sort of low-hanging fruit is and then figure out how you can continue to grow, the, grow in that regard with the right people around you that can complement you. You're never going to be um, able to do it all on your own. So it's about finding uh, what you're good at and getting better at it and finding those people that can complement your weaknesses to build the right team to address the, uh, the ideas that you want to go after. The biggest challenge I find is if you go to Silicon Valley today, a lot of the youth um, are pursuing entrepreneurship no longer because they're religiously passionate about their idea, moreover, because they're interested in being their own boss and not reporting to someone. Right. So I, I think I, I can appreciate that you're not, looking to have a job for life, but rather than thinking what's next, think about how the next experience can give you something that can become even more valuable downstream. So uh, I tell a lot of the graduates that are coming out of these programs, um, it's not a bad idea to work for a Boeing or a Northrop. Go and learn why those processes exist the way that they are, um, and then and then decide what you want, where you want to go after that. Um, and and I think you know at the age of 25 or 26, trying to uh, come up with a, a an aerospace type startup. Um, your people will pay attention, and everyone in the old guard is recognizing they're no longer in control. And we've done well in our program to raise that awareness and recognize that talent is coming from some pretty amazing places right now. And uh, the more you join these communities, the more opportunities you'll have to showcase them. And I think you you touched on one one aspect of it is not to be afraid to talk about your ideas, to publish your ideas. I think one of the old school mindsets of starting a company is you have to keep secret for very long. You know, you've got to hold close your ideas, but we, we talked about it even earlier in, in, in this conversation is that the idea is one thing. Uh, and like you mentioned, there are plenty of people that probably had the same idea, but it's all about implementation and team. I guarantee if you're thinking it, so is somebody else. <laughs> so it's not about who does it first. It's about who does it best. Sure. Sure. All right. And the last question, we kind of ask all this to kind of give our listeners a better uh, insight into your personality that I ask all our guests is, but in your position traveling a lot, I would imagine you spend most of the week on an airplane when you calculate all the hours. Uh, what are the three things that you're always going to have in your carry on no matter what? Huh, that's funny. Uh, I, I, I am very dependent on my Bose noise cancellations, the, the in-ear yeah. ones. I think I need, um, I need my my to the ability to kind of disappear wherever I am, um, and and um, I guess the s three things. Three things. 
I'm, I'm a minimalist. I really try and keep things light. I don't even travel with a, I, I travel with a duffel bag and I just use friends' laundries whenever I'm crashing on their couches. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so I'm very cloud oriented. So I'm, I'm really dependent on, on music as a meditation mm-hmm. uh, technique. Uh, and, and, um, and gosh, <laughs> my sunglasses, my, yeah. <laughs> my noise cancellation headphones and my, and my, 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 my iPhone. Yeah. 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 And a scarf sometimes because like, you never know where you'll end sure, up. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always interesting when you are in a, a Southern airport like New Orleans, you can always tell who's traveling North because when it's 80 degrees yeah. there, uh, it, you're there. You see the people with coats and windbreakers and <laughs> whatnot. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, Van, thanks so much. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. We're interested in seeing where Starburst goes in the future and what programs and what companies are going to be. You guys are going to be putting out. No, thank you, Chris. And I'm excited about you know hearing how Runway continues to grow and you know if there's anything else we can do to help. Wish you all the best of luck and let us know. Absolutely. And where Thanks can so where can everybody kind of find you and, and what you're working on? So so we're at um, starburst.aero uh, or starburstaccelerator.com. It'll take you to the same page. It'll give you a heads up of kind of uh, our operations in Singapore, in Munich, in Paris, and in L.A. Um, you can uh, get in touch with us there. Um, we've got people around the world that will make sure you get in touch with the right team that can give you this sort of uh, invitation to get more involved and talk about your idea. I literally just um, sent someone an email in Brazil saying, uh, I like that you want to talk about remote sensing of the, the rainforest, but um, maybe this is the person here you might want to talk to who's based in New York that's doing something similar. So happy to always continue to support that. Very cool. Very cool. And we'll drop those links in our show notes as well as the links to your Twitter and, and all that other social media stuff. Sounds so, good. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Once again, we want to thank Van for his time and, of course, you all for listening. Remember, if you like this interview and want to hear more of the same, just subscribe to our podcast in either iTunes or Stitcher app. All you need to do is open the app and search runway.bc, but don't forget the dot. If you want to learn more about Runway BC and all the stuff we're working on, you can go to our website at www.runway.bc or just follow us on Twitter at runwayvc, no dot there. Our next episode is actually going to be a two-part series with Trey Fadard, the founder and CEO of Glow Airlines which is a new airline startup based out of New Orleans. So until then, thanks so much for listening.